sometimes it can be intimidating. We may not know exactly how to go about that to get into conversation. Uh, there's no one that I know who can address this more effectively than our guest here today, Tom Richardson. Tom, for many, many years, has been traveling literally the world, talking to groups of Christ followers about how we can effectively, conversationally, relationally, naturally share our faith with others. And uh, I've known Tom for many, many years. Um, Whenever I see Tom, one of the first things that comes to my mind is I remember the time I made the huge mistake of uh, challenging him to a game of racquetball. (laughs) I didn't know it then, I guess, or maybe I knew it, but maybe I thought I was too good. (laughs) He's a great racquetball player. Uh, I'm not. I found it out that day. And uh, he loves racquetball, but I'll tell you what, he loves even more. He loves people. And you don't have to be around Tom very long to know that. And and so, I, so, and let me say before just before he comes today at three o'clock, Tom is going to come back um, for an hour, hour and a half or so. For as many people as want to come, we'll meet in the lower level at three o'clock today. He's going to talk about that very difficult matter of how do we share our faith with um, family? How do we do that? Sometimes it's hard to build those bridges. Sometimes within our own family, and maybe we have maybe we have family members that aren't that interested in God. How do we bridge those gaps? And uh, Tom's going to, he has some wisdom on those things. So if you're interested in that, come back at 3 o'clock today. It'll be a great time. But right now, we're just glad to have Tom. So let's welcome Tom as he comes this morning. I enjoyed beating him at racquetball. (laughs) Actually, I don't get to play anymore. I herniated a disc in my back, but... Before I quit, I got to win the national championship in my age division of mixed doubles, so don't be too impressed with that. Remember what I said, my age division, so it looked like an AARP convention, but, <laughs> but, but it's an honor to be here. I, uh, I hold your pastor in high regard. I, I travel all over the place, and uh, <laughs> I, I know hundreds and hundreds of pastors and have all kinds of opinions about them, but you guys are blessed. You guys are blessed. He's the same person no matter where you see him or when you see him. And I think that's neat, don't you? And, uh, of course, we all know he wouldn't amount to much without Jill. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> but it's a great honor to be with you. I'm looking forward to being with you this afternoon. We're going to talk about two things as we have time. We're going to talk about your family and the four unique challenges of sharing your faith with your family, and we're going to talk about neighborhood evangelism, the various neighborhoods of your life. I think one of the uh, highlights of Diane and I's married life is that we've, and we're in the areas we've lived, and we've lived in four places since we've been married, that um, we've had the privilege of seeing 31 of our neighbors come to Christ. But that requires commitment, involvement, and things. So we're going to talk about that this afternoon. I hope you'll be here. Let me do my commercial before we get started, because I ask your pastor what time I need to what time you leave, because I do want to finish not too long after that. And, um, and I, I know you, you want to meet our Baptist brothers and sisters to the restaurants, and I understand that. I, I want to go with you. Um, but on the table, on the resource table in the foyer, there's 10 CDs on various aspects of sharing your faith. They're cheap. They're $5, but they're valuable. And uh, here are the subjects. One's on practical helps. One's on listening with your heart. 
the importance of being a good listener, and the seven common problems we have being good listeners. One's in knowing and using your gifts and talents. You know, when you approach the subject of sharing your faith, some of you feel very frustrated with that and go, I'd like to, and if I was someone a little different than who I am, maybe I could. But when the Lord made you, he likes what he made. He didn't make you and then later go, oh, I left something out. He has not called you to frustration and failure. He's called you to success. But sometimes we need to discover who we are. One's on 10 ways to pray for someone who doesn't yet know the Lord. One's on 10 ways to bring Christ into an everyday conversation without them thinking you're strange. One's on five convictions every Christian needs about sharing their faith. Did you notice 10, 10, 5? My college degree is in engineering. So everything's 10, 10, 5. I had no idea the Lord called me to the ministry. One's on relating to non-Christians. One's on being a witness to your family. One's on life purity and evangelism. And the other one's on preparing your heart, seeing your world through God's eyes. Diane, my wife, has three in other areas out there, life experiences for her. One's on how to overcome depression. Years ago, I used to go home and hope she'd be alive when I got there. And one day she thought, if I don't deal with this, I'm going to get sick. And she began to search the scriptures, and she found some answers, and the Lord set her free. And I saw more of that one than any other. I've had people tell me that saved their life or that of a friend. One's on freedom from the bondage of fear. Do you agree with me? A lot of people's lives are limited by their fears. It doesn't have to be. And the other one's on how to meditate on scripture. So they're there, and they're $5. Our DVD series is out there. They're in the boxes. We also have them in Spanish. And so the resources are there. Let me give you a little bit of background for me before I pray and talk fast so we can get done on time. Um, uh, I had no idea I'd ever end up in the ministry. My college degree is in engineering. Um, one of the highlights of those years was to see about half my office group come to the Lord. During those years, we started a Christian coffee house, a youth outreach thing, a uh, street front coffee house back in the early 70s. I, I'm older than I look. And uh, that's the advantage of being fat. You don't wrinkle. It's kind of a natural Botox. And... Uh, <laughs> But during the three years that I directed that through the things we did there and the outreaches we had, we saw about 500 young people come to the Lord. In fact, the biggest drug pusher in Springfield, Illinois, that's where the coffee house was, came to Christ. Not through my witness. I met him after his conversion. But uh, I got home from a little trip, and somebody said, you hear who became a Christian this weekend? I said, no, who? They said, Lauren Denton. I said, well, good, who's that? And they said, he's the biggest drug pusher in town. And the Lord just transformed his life, moved him into my halfway house. Uh, he had a sister who was a student at the University of Illinois. And uh, by IQ, she was a genius. By belief, she was an atheist. And by lifestyle, she was silly. And, uh, but he wanted to go talk to her about Jesus because he pushed whatever he had, and now he had Jesus. And uh, so he asked me to go with him. So I did, and, and a couple other people, and he did most of the talking. And she wasn't interested. She was glad for him. She wouldn't have to get him out of jail anymore, but she just wasn't interested. But he kept praying for her and talking to her and, and uh, when he could. And a year later, she walked into a church service. He goes, look, my sister's here. <laughs> and she accepted Christ. And uh, two years later, I married his sister. That's been my wife now for over 39 years. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so uh, we, I try to stay involved. I run all over the world. And last year, I was in Cambodia twice. And I was in China. And I was in India. And I was in Thailand and Indonesia. And New Zealand and Canada. And I leave next month for Italy and Nepal and Philippines. And, in Singapore, so that's what I do. But I love to try to help people, and I hope there'll be some things said today that'll help you. Father, would you speak to us? Guide our time. Thank you for the privilege of being with these precious people. Lord, thank you that they established the priorities of their life to be here today, even though it's cold. 
minister your grace to us and through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15 say, For Christ's love compels us. That's a strong word, isn't it? Compels. What compels you? Now, don't be humble here. How many of you would tell me, Tom, I love the Lord more than anything or anybody. Raise your hand. Come on. Don't be shy. Come on. About half of them, Pastor. But I have some questions for you. If someone gave you $1,000 every time you shared your faith, would you try any harder than you did last week? Or if the Lord told you, if you'll figure out a way to represent me to somebody every day, I'll promise you that'll be a day of perfect health for you. Would you figure out a way? Or if the Lord said, if you'll represent me to somebody in some way every day, I'll promise you that your children and your grandchildren will always walk with the Lord. Would you figure out a way? How many of us love the Lord more than anything or anybody? What compels us? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Wow, that's powerful. But for him who died for them and was raised again. No longer live for themselves. I was watching a, a minister on TV when I got to the hotel last night. He made a statement I really liked. He said, is Christ more valuable to you than your valuables? <laughs> he said something else I really like, too, because I get tired of the preachers on TV that are always saying, send me your money, send me your money. I get tired of that, don't you? He said, if they need the money so bad, why don't they send me $100 and let God send them 1000 <laughs> Anyhow, that has nothing to do with it, but I just thought it was funny. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. But God is not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. We don't define him. He defines himself. Then God came to us in Jesus. You know, we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we don't have three gods. We have one God. But he came to us in Jesus. And Luke 19 says of Jesus that he came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus came with God's mission. And then Jesus went back to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and committed his work to us. So if God is who he says he is, Jesus came to seek and save the lost and he gave us his mission. Sounds like that's awfully important about us too, right? And yet, even though we want so much for people to know Christ, sometimes we experience fears and barriers and intimidations about sharing our faith. And I don't want to talk about seven of those if we get that far. One is, we think sometimes they're going to ask me something I don't know. That'll happen. I'll promise you, if you share your faith very much at all, somebody's going to ask you something you don't know. I think it's easy to ask me something I don't know. I'm not a theologian. I'm an ordained minister like your pastor is, but he's smarter than I am, and I'm not a theologian. And I think it's easy to ask me something I don't know. And, and, and I get asked things I don't know. You know what I say when someone asks me something I don't know? I say, I don't know. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, no one's ever lost respect for me for that answer. But I'll also commit myself to trying to find out. I, uh, my wife works at the University of Illinois. And, uh, and so I've been involved in ministry at the University of Illinois over the years. And I did 
used to play a lot of racquetball most days of the week. And there was a guy in the group that I played racquetball with that named Tom. And uh, he, uh, he was an interesting guy. He's very, very bright and uh, interesting guy. And he would try to hold me and my faith at arm's length, but he was also very curious. And he would also, <laughs> eventually when we would talk, he'd, he'd just have to say, he'd have to blurt something out about my faith. And it was fun to watch the Lord at work in his life. But he came to me one day, and, and after being very resistant and very standoffish and to, to my faith, he came to me one day and he said, is there a group of guys that gets together here in town that just gets together to talk about what the Bible has to say about life that maybe I could become part of? And, and outside, I said, let me see what I can find out. Inside, I went, yes! But So I asked around, and sadly, if it existed, I couldn't find it. So I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart, and I went back to him. I said, Tom, let's try to form one from the guys here at the racquetball courts. And he said, yeah, let's do. And that's a great idea. So we made a list of 17 guys, he and I and 15 others. And so I invited them all to my house for a Tuesday noon cookout, and they knew that we were going to announce at the cookout that the, starting the next Tuesday on the University of Illinois campus, we were going to have a seven-week series on what does Proverbs have to say about life. And so we invited everyone, and I was hoping eight or nine might show up, but we had 12. We made the announcement, and the next week started to, we met on campus and started to look at the book of Proverbs and started opening the book of Proverbs, and one of the professors said, wait a minute, how do we know we can believe this book? So we talked about the authenticity of scripture and its canonization. Then we got in, well, well, who's God? Who's God the Father? Who's Jesus the Son? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does that fit together? Then we got into the Purpose Driven Life book. Then we got into the Gospel of John. I counted. We met 135 times and we never did get to Proverbs. <laughs> but after we've been meeting for a few weeks, Tom came in one day and he said, I got something to say. And there were four, four or five Christians in the group. And he said, I got something to say. He said, I've been listening to some of you Christians. I'm thinking about what you're saying. He said, and I was driving down the street a few days ago and I got to looking at the sky. <laughs> Glad he wasn't following me. He said, but I got to looking at the sky and I got to thinking there's so much order in the universe, there has to be a God. And if there's a God, he's got to be a God of love. So I pulled over to the side of the street and gave myself to him. He had a Damascus Street experience. It was exciting. After another year, I had another cookout. After another year, I had another cookout at my house. Here's some of the people who came to my last cookout. Uh, a professor emeritus, a Jewish professor of philosophy, a professor of evolution, a professor of economics whose father-in-law was head of the humanist movement in Chicago. I play golf with these three economics professors. They told me that that's the easiest faculty position at the university because they can give the same test every year and just change the answers. <laughs> <laughs> the news director from a TV station, an American Airlines captain, retired, a professor in plant pathology, had a doctorate in weeds or something, a guy involved in economic development, two technicians in the veterinary medical schools, an electrical engineer involved in nuclear research projects, an Air Force colonel who set up survival camps and a realtor. That makes for an interesting lunch. You say, well, what do you know about all that stuff? Nothing. But I knew Jesus and they're my friends. And but the Lord did some incredible things. I was in the Philippines teaching a short course at a Bible school and my daughter, younger daughter, I have two daughters. One's an actress in Los Angeles and the other one's in graduate school to be a nurse anesthetist. And um, the, uh, uh, my daughter, who's a nurse, uh, sent me an email. Hey, 
Tom, Dad, your, uh, your friend John called. I think he might want to talk to you. Here's his number if you can call him. So I borrowed the missionary's cell phone and called him. He answered. I said, hi, John, Tom, heard you call. He said, Tom, I thought you were on the other side of the world. I said, I am. He said, why are you calling me from there? I said, I heard you called. You're my friend. I'm calling you back. He said, my daughter said you might want to talk. He says, I do. Something. Now, this guy set up survival camps for the Air Force. He's a tough old bird. But something had happened that scared him. Led him to Christ over the phone. And he's turned into a dynamic Christian man. I think that's exciting. Don't you? And the Lord's at work. Now, I could tell you stories from this list for a while. But why am I talking about it? Because... I was afraid to get involved in starting the group because I was afraid of being asked something I didn't know. How often did I get asked something I didn't know? Every week, I think. Next week's session was on last week's questions that I didn't know the answers to. That'll happen. But if we hesitate to share our faith because we're afraid of being asked something we don't know, We'll never get anywhere. None of us is a know-it-all. We're all growing. But for every real question, there's a real answer. I mean, somebody could ask something squirrely like, can God make a rock bigger than he can lift? But, but for every real question, there's a real answer. And you have to understand, you will get asked things you don't know. They become growing points for you. You have to go back and say, I worked on your question. I had a professor named Ron tell me in veterinary medicine, and, and he said to me, he asked me a question. I, I didn't know the answer. I went and worked on it. I went back to him about three weeks later when I saw him and said, hey, Ron, you asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, so I worked on it. I'm ready to answer it now. He goes, what did I, what'd I ask you? I reminded him. He said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, no. I said, I worked on the answer. I want to tell you. And sometimes it takes that. Secondly, we think, I'm going to get in the middle of something I can't finish. You start thinking, I can share something personal about the Lord, but then I don't know where to take the conversation. Do I just drop it? Do I just stand there and see what they say? Do I ask them, well, what do you think about that? And we get to thinking, I may look silly and inadequate, so I think I better not say anything. How many of you have walked in the dark with a flashlight? What's it like when you walk with a flashlight? You turn on your flashlight. It gives you some light in your path. You walk into that light. When you get into that light, there's some more light. And when you get into that light, there's some more light, and eventually you reach your destination, right? And sometimes sharing our faith is like walking with a flashlight. We walk into the light we have, and when we get there, there's some more. And sometimes if we can't see the destination from the beginning, we're afraid to start. But does it make sense to you that the Lord would get you in the middle of a faith-sharing opportunity and a faith-sharing experience and turn the light out on you? I don't think so. So don't worry about not being able to see the end. Walk into the light you have. There'll be some more. And it'll, it's amazing. It's amazing how it can unfold. The Lord just guides you. I, I was speaking up in St. Cloud, Minnesota several years ago in January. How's that for poor planning? <laughs> you know, last week was enough to convince any of us not to live in Minnesota. 
They only have two seasons there, winter and road construction. But I was doing a Sunday through Wednesday seminar, and on Monday morning I was at the mall at the Christian bookstore, uh, looking and talking to the owner and, and just browsing, and they carried some of our materials. And so I, I, noon hour came, and I was getting hungry, and there was a, a restaurant right across the hall there at the mall from the bookstore, and I saw that, and my flesh bore witness. And so I went over and sit down, and I was looking at the menu, getting ready to order page two, became, when I became aware there were a couple of men standing by my table, and I looked up, and here's the fellow from the bookstore and another man. And he said, Tom, I want you to meet Sherman. He's a professor here at St. Cloud State University and head of the, I think, the economics department at that time. And he said, uh, he came into the bookstore just now and started asking me some questions. So I told him he could talk to you while you ate. <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> but I smiled and said, nice to meet you. Please sit down. And I ordered page two and the waitress left. And we chatted and I said, what's your question? And, he and the first thing he asked me, he was one of the unknowns of our faith. We'll find out when we all get to heaven. And I said, I don't know. It's an insecure moment, isn't it? I said, I've thought about it a little bit. And I shared with him what little thinking I had done and somehow the Holy Spirit made it make sense. We not only spent the noon hour together, we spent the whole afternoon just walking and talking. And at about 4.30 that afternoon, he prayed with me and received Christ as his savior. A year later, I was back in that town to speak at another church, and I called him to see how he was doing. And his wife had come to Christ. His teenage son had come to Christ. But it all started with, I don't know. Afraid to get in the middle of something, you can't finish. But you can grow and learn. And don't underestimate the Holy Spirit's ability to give you incredible help. Thirdly, Sometimes we think, I'm going to need a verse of scripture and not know where it is. How many times have we thought, my, the scripture is my proof, but I don't know where the verses are. I know it says in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> I, uh, when I was studying engineering, I went to a school called the University of Missouri at Rolla. Now it's called the Missouri University of Science and Technology, I think. And... Uh, my college roommate, Larry, is just one of the best friends I've ever had. And, and when he and I were roommates, it, it's one of those friendships that if we don't see each other for 10 years, when we do, we pick up like it was yesterday. But when we were roommates in college for a while, neither one of us was doing very well spiritually. Larry grew up Catholic. I grew up Assembly of God, same brand as this church. And even though neither one of us was doing very well spiritually, we decided to go to each other's church to see what it's like, because he'd never been to a church like this. I'd never been to a Catholic church. So one weekend, we were up in Kansas City goofing off, and we saw an Assembly of God church, and we went there on Sunday morning, and the people worshiped the Lord, and the pastor preached, and the service was over, and we got outside, and I said, what'd you think of that? And he said, yeah, it was all right. I said, no, what'd you think of it? And he said, well, I don't understand. So many people had their hands up and had a question. Why wouldn't the pastor call on them? But about three weeks later, I went to the Catholic church with him, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to get up, get down. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> but the priest did the dishes, and we went on home. But, but it was a little while after that that I, I really surrendered my life to Christ. And, and he saw the change in me. And one night, we were in our dorm room, and he was just asking me questions. He said, I see you going through changes. He said, uh, what's going on with you? So I told him. And after we talked for a while, he went out for a walk around the block and came back born again. And it was fun to spiritually grow with my roommate. But not too long after his decision, one weekend, we were down in Springfield, Missouri, 
visiting some friends of mine who were going to Bible school there. And, and one of the Bible school students, I don't know if they were being honorary or just thought he'd know better, but quite honestly, he didn't know anything about the Bible. And, and one of the Bible school students told Larry that in Hezekiah 4.6 it says, there is no book of Hezekiah. Saying that to the pastor. The, the, uh, so there is no book of Hezekiah. But they told Larry that in Hezekiah 4.6 it says, those who don't repent will cook in the brook, stew in the stream, and boil in the oil. And they never told him differently. So he went back to our dorm and he shared his faith with nearly everybody in our dorm using Hezekiah 4.6 as his text. You have to repent because Hezekiah 4.6 says those who don't repent are going to cook in the brook. And he didn't get any converts. There's no real anointing on that verse. But you can learn the right scriptures. And the Holy Spirit will bring scripture to your remembrance you didn't even know you knew. And he'll help you. Number four. Here's the one that used to intimidate me for a while. You're going to do more harm than good. The devil used to beat me up with that statement. You're going to do more harm than good. And he successfully intimidated me for a while. Because I used to think, you know, I want to say something. I want to share. But I'm going to approach him wrong. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to insult him somehow. I'm going to get my foot in my mouth and open my mouth and switch feet. Then I'm going to get them both in there. And I'm just going to make Jesus look bad. And I got to thinking, you know, I believe this message needs to be shared, and I think somebody else needs to do it. But there were two things that set me free from that, free from that intimidation. One, I realized it was a lie. Well, it had a little bit of truth to it, but basically, it was a lie. And secondly, God gave me a great love for people. And I had to try again. I had to try again. I had to try again. In fact, let me tell you that story a little bit, if I may. I grew up in church, like this one. Didn't wander too far away, but for a while I just couldn't figure out what it was good for. But finally, when I was 20 years old, I really surrendered my life to Christ. And by the time I was a senior in college, I was 21, I had this growing, burning desire to share what I had found in Christ with people around me. But my problem was I didn't know what to say. I knew what I had. I knew they needed it. But I didn't know how to get it to come out of my mouth. Do you ever feel that way? And I became convinced that whatever happened next had to be something God did. And I began to ask the Lord if he'd let me see my world through his eyes. If he'd let me see the people around me the way he saw them. If he'd let me see opportunities, I must just walk by and never notice. I prayed that prayer over and over again. I prayed it for at least several weeks. But one day, I was going down the highway in the car by myself, just pouring my heart out to the Lord again, saying, Lord, would you let me see my world through your eyes? Would you let me see the people around me the way you see them? Would you let me see opportunities I must just walk by and never notice? 
And that day he answered my prayer. And I felt like my heart broke inside. And within me, people changed. It was no longer looks and clothes and brains and status and talent. It was all whether they knew Jesus or not. And I believe that's one of the important things that needs to happen to each of us is asking the Lord to let us see our will through his eyes and pursuing it until it happens. Because if that happens, you'll be unstoppable. If it doesn't happen, you may be unstartable. I think it's that important. And I'm not done talking with you, and I don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask us to do this today. Would you just bow your head, please? And whether it's instantaneous or whether it's going to be a process like it was for me, but would you just say to the Lord, Lord, would you let me see my world through your eyes? Would you give me your heart for people who don't yet know him? Would you just pray that quietly right where you're seated right now and commit yourself to the process? Father, you've heard the prayers of these precious people. May they continue to seek you on this matter until you answer. I pray in Jesus' name. All right. Number five is actually number one. The number one reason Christians hesitate to share their faith is the fear of rejection. They're going to turn against me and reject me. They're going to realize I believe in something they're presently against. Not only will they turn against me, they're going to turn other against me, others against me too. It's going to cost me success in my career, popularity. I won't be well accepted. I won't get promoted. Do you agree with me that the fear of people is a paralyzer? I wonder how much it would change us as witnesses in our world if we could ever get the fear of man out of us and a good healthy case of the fear of God in us. Two different kinds of fear. The fear of man has torment. The fear of God is one of respect. I mentioned we have two daughters. Our older one's an actress in Los Angeles. And uh, I, I was shocked when she became an actress because she's really quite a quiet person and and she you know she's not a person who you'd say she seeks the limelight she's not like that she's a very very bright girl she, she was reading 30 books a week by the time she's five years old she got a perfect score in the SAT verbal she's very very bright she'll take a book this thick and read it in 30 minutes and tell you everything that's in it it's not easy being the dumbest person in my family <laughs> you know how I feel But my daughter, my daughter, she's a, she's the kind of person that if you do something stupid, she's probably done with you. She doesn't tolerate goofiness much. But she wants to connect with people. And so she was going to take an acting class in New York City for a few weeks. And she was going to go out there by herself, didn't know a soul, 
And uh, she loves it that I have so many frequent flyer miles. And because um, I have one point, I've had 1.6 million. And so she's going to take this acting class. And, and she told us later that she was going out there thinking, I'm going to try harder to connect with people. So she went to the first class. And in the first class, uh, the teacher said, let's break into groups and write a scene. And the others in the, her group knew each other because of the industry, but she didn't know anybody. But they broke into groups, and, uh, and so they decided, based on what was going on in New York City at the time, to write a scene about a gay rights parade with an irrational Christian standing on the curb screaming at them, you're going to hell. And guess which part they gave my daughter? She's just dying. I was in the Philippines at that time, too. I heard about it. I borrowed the missionary's cell phone and called her. I said, don't you think a lot of missionaries wanted to go home after two days? But she couldn't drop it. So she said to them, she said, uh, I'm a minister's daughter. What are you doing here? And she said, and what you're saying is not what the Bible says. And then she made this very profound statement, I thought. She said, it's not right to stereotype. And they changed everything. And they realized that what they were having that Christian scream is not what God tells anybody to do. And they changed everything. And before long, they were wanting to have dinner with her and spend evenings with her. Well, as a Christian, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can do this, but you can't do that. She said it's not do's and don'ts. It's a relationship. Now, relationships have do's and don'ts. You know, I've been married. This is our 40th year. During those years, I've seen more and more things to do that will enrich my marriage, and I've seen more and more things to avoid that will diminish my marriage. But my marriage is not based on do's and don'ts. It's based on the fact that I love my wife, and she loves me. Bless her heart. But if I don't pay attention to the do's and don'ts of my relationship with my wife, I'll destroy it. So the relationship's based on love. Do's and don'ts are in the context of the relationship. And so she would communicate to that. Well, you can do, they'd say, you can do this, but you can't do that. It's not that. It's a relationship, right? But the fear of rejection can stop us. In April of 1990, I was speaking in a community for a few days. And I was asked by someone in the congregation if I would tape a 30-minute TV show for the local Trinity Broadcasting Network affiliate. I've never done a lot with TV. I've been told I have a face for radio. <laughs> when I was born, the doctor slapped my mother. And <laughs> but I, I thought I should, so I didn't want to go in there by myself. So I said to a minister friend, would you go in there with me? And he said yes. And so we talked about what we should talk about. So we decided to talk about God's faithfulness. And so we got on the set and bannered back and forth talking about God's faithfulness and trying to be an encouragement to anyone who saw it. And we got outside. How do you think it went and left hoping it would be effective? Within two weeks, both he and I found out our wives had cancer. And suddenly we were trying to remember all those things about God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's easier to talk about your faith than live your faith, isn't it? Now, the Lord in his mercy, in a miraculous way, totally healed my wife, and she's fine. 
His wife died. We all hate that wretched disease, don't we? Probably everyone in here has been touched in some way by cancer. And we all look forward to the day there's a cure found. But if I knew I had a cure for cancer, I knew I had it. I also knew the cure that I had was different than conventional research that's being done or orthodox thinking about where they think they'll find the cure when they find the cure. Therefore, I knew if I shared my cure that the real possibility existed that I'd be viewed with skepticism and scorned and rejected and disbelief. But I knew I had it. If I love them more than I love me, I'll be relentless in my efforts to communicate to them I have the cure for cancer. If they won't believe me, I'll try to figure out a different way to approach them. I'll lay in bed and think about it. If they reject me, I'll just have to go up. I've got a cure that can make change the world. I, I've got, I'll have to deal with the rejection. I've got to communicate. And I'll be relentless in my effort. as if I love them more than I love me. Now, if I love me more than I love them, my response will be very different. I'll take the attitude of, oh, I try to tell them. They know what I think. If they want to talk about it, they know where to find me. Life's too short to go through a lot of rejection. Aren't you glad Jesus loved you more than he loved himself? And now he calls us to be his people. You know what the cure for the fear of rejection is? Putting your reputation in God's hands. Because if your reputation is not in God's hands, it's in other people's hands. It's in your hands. And you'll do what you do with greatest consideration what other people think. Now, putting your reputation in God's hands doesn't mean you become obnoxious and overbearing and rude in the name of the Lord, because Jesus isn't like that. It just means you're free inside to be God's person. Number six is, I don't just want to impose my views on others. Our society makes us think that way sometimes, doesn't it? Don't impose your views on me. All paths are about the same. We're all going to end up in the same place if we end up anywhere. You know, I got all kinds of opinions. We all do. Get ready to vote. We're going to do some voting. You ready? How many of you like the color blue better than you like the color red? Raise your hand. How many of you like red better than blue? How many of you like football better than basketball? How many of you like basketball better than football? How many of you hate sports? How many of you like dogs better than cats? How many of you like cats better than dogs? God bless both of you. <laughs> and on and on we could go. And we all have an opinion. And if I try to get you to like blue better than red, and basketball better than football, and dogs better than cats, those are my views. But when it comes to the message of the gospel, that's not my view. This is God's view. And this message existed before I was born. There's nothing about it I get to change or add. And when people say, those are just your views, I tell them, I, and I'm not trying to play one-upmanship with them, but I'll tell them, it's really not my view. It's my experience. You want my view on something? I'll give it to you. But on this issue, this is God's view. Your debate is not with me, it's with him. And then number seven, my Christian life's so weak, I better not say anything. They'll just think I'm a hypocrite. The key to consistent Christian living is don't let anyone be able to look at you and accuse you of a wrong you've never tried to make right. 
So when you fail, and we all do, ask God's forgiveness. Ask forgiveness of those that are aware of your failure. Don't let anyone be able to look at you and accuse you of a wrong that you've never tried to make right. I told you about the guy that was in the group that pulled over to the side of the road. A little bit more of the story before I close. I, um, one day, I, after a racquetball game, we were in the locker room. I started telling him a joke. It's not sexist, it's not racist, it's not immoral or in that kind of garbage. But I started telling him a joke, and, but it did poke fun at a certain group of people. And I got halfway into it, and he interrupted me and said, excuse me, is this going to go where I think it's going to go? <laughs> I was a bit taken aback by that, and I go, probably. <laughs> and he said, I don't want to hear it. I said, okay. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Then I got home, and you get an attitude. What's his problem? <laughs> Loosen up, dude. It's not that big a thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, <laughs> he's right and I'm wrong. So I called his office at the university and uh, got his voicemail. I said, hey, Tom, this is Tom. Please call me. Left a mess, my number. Didn't call me back for two weeks. And every once in a while, I'd think about it and say, why doesn't he call me back? It's not that big a deal, is it? I wish he'd call me back. I'd like to clear this up. About two weeks later, he called me back. He said, hey, Tom, I've been going to a conference for two weeks. I'm just now back in the office going through voicemail. Do you still need to talk to me? I said, yes, I do. He said, what do you need? And I said, I need your forgiveness. He said, what for? I reminded him of that. I said, would you forgive me for my insensitivity? He said, you don't need my forgiveness. I said, yes, I do. I said, I've asked God's forgiveness. I said, my faith's important to me. I said, I've asked God's forgiveness. And I asked him to forgive my insensitivity. Now I'm asking you, would you forgive me for my insensitivity? He said, yes, I will. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll hold you accountable. You hold me accountable. It wasn't long after that he said, what kind of Bible should I get? It wasn't long after that he said, do you have a church you'd recommend? It wasn't long after that he said, is there a group of guys that gets together to talk? It wasn't long after that he said, I pulled over to the side of the road and gave myself to him. And he grew fast. He, he's a bright guy. He'll take whatever you say and whatever I say and assimilate it and articulate it back to us better than we said it. But a key was walking before the Lord with a clear conscience. Don't let anyone be able to look at you and accuse you of a wrong you've never tried to make right. I believe the Lord wants to set us free from our barriers and fears. He believes in you. This message is too important to him for him, him to commit it to you and I if he didn't think we could do it. He believes in you. But it's important how we live our lives before the Lord. To the God who loves everyone, everyone. To Jesus who came, came to be the Savior of everyone. And may they see Jesus in us as we walk humbly before our God. Because we all need him. We all need him. Here's how I'd like to close our time. First of all, to the Christians, I'd like to say this. I challenge you to accept the responsibility. This is your homework from the sermon. To accept the responsibility to identify and resolve the barriers that you feel to sharing your faith. Don't live as a captive. Live as a faith-sharing Christian. Secondly, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. A prayer is if I were making a decision to receive Christ as my Savior. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray the prayer out loud after me. But if you're here today, and I just don't have the privilege of knowing very many of you at all, 
But if you're here today and you've never established a personal relationship with Christ, you, you, you may believe, but you've never really embraced Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you had a relationship with him sometime in your past and you need to come back to it. As we all pray this prayer out loud together, I ask you, don't just repeat the prayer. I ask you to pray the prayer as your prayer. Would you do that? You'll be glad you did. Our prayer is long, so stick with me. We're going to go from A to Z. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving me. I believe Jesus is your son. And he came and lived among us. And he lived a perfect life. I know I have not lived a perfect life. I know I have broken your law. And now I understand the consequences. But I also understand that Jesus volunteered to pay the consequences for me. And he did that. He died for me. And he was buried. But you raised him from the dead. And he's alive again. And he's present here right now. I ask your forgiveness for my self-willed behavior. And I turn away from it now. Jesus, I invite you that by your spirit, you would come and live inside of me and give me a spiritual birth. And I commit myself to following you the rest of my life. I know I'm going to have questions, but I know you're going to have answers. Thank you for hearing me. Amen. Mr. Jim, would you come? I, uh, I want you to know that if you prayed with me just now to establish or reestablish that relationship, I am thrilled for you. I am thrilled for you. I want to do something. Now, please hear me. Uh, we're, I'm not going to need any music just now, guys, so you can just relax for a minute. Pastor Jim may change that, but I don't need any. The, uh, uh, the, the, uh, I, I'm not musical. The only request I've ever had to sing in church is they ask me to sing on a hill far away. But the, the, I, uh, uh, here's what I'd like to do. I, I, I just don't have the privilege of knowing you, but I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anybody forward. I'm not going to do any of that. But I would like to know who just prayed with me to establish or reestablish that relationship. So in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone in the room, except for Pastor Jim and I, to close your eyes. And, and you say, why, why Pastor Jim? Because there's nobody in your life that carries you in their heart like he does. I have known him for many years. He helps people spiritually succeed. That's what he does. That's why you're in the right place. So he and I are going to have our eyes open. Everybody else, close your eyes, and here's what I'm going to do. If you prayed with me, now if you're already a Christian, you don't need to raise your hand, but if you prayed with me to establish or reestablish a relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up, look up at me until you know you've caught my eye. I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to point at you to let you know to put your hand right back down and then do that, okay? If you prayed with me, would you raise your hand? you're already Christian, you don't need to, but if you prayed with me just now. I know it's a very self-conscious moment if I 
once I point at you, you can put your hand down. Is there anyone else here? Just raise your hand. You'll be glad you did. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up. You're worth it. That's why I'm giving you a minute. Take a deep breath and do what you need to do. Just slip your hand up. Anybody else? If you haven't already, please do now. Would you slip your hand up, please? research has shown if you take all the people who fall asleep in church, that if you laid them end to end, they'd be more comfortable. <laughs> I rejoice in the honesty of the response that was there. There were over 20 people who just raised their hand. I think that's exciting. I rejoice. I don't have the privilege of knowing you. Pastor may know most of you, but if you're comfortable doing this, and I hope you are, would you find a piece of paper? Maybe Pastor can tell us where we can find some. Just give us some contact information. And give it to here. If you give it to me, I'm going to give it to him. And he or someone he designates is going to contact you to help you succeed in your decision because one of the things you're already asking yourself is, now what am I supposed to do? There are answers to that question. God bless you. It's an honor to be with you. I look forward to being with you this afternoon. We're going to have fun. The resource table's out there. Get all that stuff, please. God bless you. Thanks a lot, Tom.